whenever you do a set, you can kind of like uh, go into the void, but every now and again, you kind of like come back to reality for a split second. Yeah. And then you're like, okay, I need to get back in there for that split second. I told myself if I died right now, I would be completely okay with that. And then kept doing <laughs> three or four more reps. What's going on guys. Welcome back to blood, sweat and gear with coaches, skip Hill, Andrew Barry. I'm Scott McNally. Today we are joined by the one and only Dave Tate, all of our programming is brought to you by truenutrition.com. You could use our code THINK for additional savings, high-quality third-party tested supplements. We've got a brand new website. Check it out. Use our code THINK to get additional savings. We're also brought to you by supplementsource.ca for our Canadians, and we're brought to you by Strom Sports Nutrition for those of you in the UK. Dave, man, this is something we've wanted to do for a long time, so thank you for joining us. Man, you just killed that intro. You know how long <laughs> I have been trying to work on my intro for a podcast, and I butcher it every time. It's okay. You could do recorded. You got to record it, and you know, then and you just like cut it together afterwards, and nobody knows the difference. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, we did. We did that with one. We did that with one of my sponsors, but I'll mess up my own sales. Oh yeah. You know, I I do the sales calendar for Elite FTS, so I plan the sales. I'm the guy. Yeah, and then I'll get on the podcast <laughs> and say, "Hey, go go to elitefts.com. We have specials on." And then I'm like, I don't know <laughs> stuff. A gym equipment. We have gym equipment. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. One of these days, you're gonna throw something out there like we have specials on everything's fifty percent off, and then like people are gonna come rushing <laughs> to the website. It's gonna happen. Yeah, yeah. Well, for real, we're uh, we're grateful to have you here. Um, I had the opportunity to come down and, and check out the elite center. The, what do you call it? The compound? Is this version five of the compound now? Yeah, we call it the compound because it's a mixture of the warehouse, the office, and uh, I don't want to say gym because we don't have members. So we'll just call it a corporate fitness center. But you've been around <laughs> for a lot, a lot longer than that. And, uh, you know, I, I think at this point, all three of us have had the opportunity to to check the latest installment of the compound out but that's yeah. a place of lore man like that is a place of lore and that's something we really wanted to start out talking about is talking about the company elite fts but then yeah. also talking about like where it came from talk about hardcore training and talk about you know just just some of the experiences you've had over the years okay the um the reason it's called the compound is jim wendler titled that year many many years ago because we were in different locations at one time so because of the size of the company are for a long time the it was downtown in an old beat up 400 dollar per month building and then when we fi finally moved into a bigger location the gym had to go out in the country in an old john deere dealership and then the the warehouse was across the street from the office. So there was three different places that housed everything. And it took damn close to 20 years before we could actually put it all into one location, which we have now. Huh. So the compound kind of stuck because at one point we had the three buildings that were all right next to each other, but you had to go outside to get to each one of those. Um, so I mean, that's a real fast track of the history, but this this year actually this month would be 25 years in business wow so it was founded in 1998 and so yeah i mean it's it's crazy now you know like 
I can't say that right. Quarter of a century, <laughs> you know. <laughs> We 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 told Dave before the show we're like we gotta try to cut down on the vulgarity and Skip was like no that's just not gonna happen when we get Dave on it's just not gonna happen yeah, I, I, caught it. I caught it I caught it well we're we're totally fanning out today because all of us put on our elite garb now this shirt I don't know about your guys's but this has been one of my favorite training shirts since about 2007 you can hardly read it anymore yeah, yeah. no with I mean it lasts with a little while. History, yeah, with the company history, is there anything in specific that you're wondering about? Because there's a lot of offshoots. Yeah. What, what What do you think, Skip? Well, here's the thing. I have been with Elite FTS for about 10 years now. And I do have some rapid-fire questions later, mm-hmm. not now, which I didn't let you know before, so I'm just throwing them at you now, Scott, so that you know for Dave. Awesome. But I should know this. I might get fired for this. Dave would be Uh-oh. like, Sheena, just you need to just get rid of. Matter of yeah. fact, probably make Rhonda fire me for, the, for that matter. What? How did you get? How? How did you? Were you just sitting around? And you're thinking this equipment is just like there's not equipment good enough or strong because for those who don't know, and I'm surprised by this, but in in bodybuilding, a lot of people don't know that elite FTS equipment really is like there's nothing stronger. I laugh and I always make this point. The sissy squat could hold someone while they're standing instead of a plate, they could be holding a box car and it's not going to move. It's not going to bend. It's not going to flex. You know, the bars just hold ridiculous amounts of weight that likely if you're not in the 1% of 1%, you're not ever going to need it, but you can get on this equipment knowing full well that nothing is going to happen. It's not going to break. And as a gym owner, you would think, well, from a liability standpoint, I don't want cheaper equipment that is sold in volume. I want this expensive stuff. So what was your thought process? I mean, did you just think, you know what, I'm going to build the baddest ass strongest ever. Notice how I decrescendoed. You did good. That. You did good. So they can't really get me for that one. So, it, I, or did you, I, I don't know. I mean, did you just know somebody who was building equipment? You're like, you know what, this is what I'm going to do. What was that? Where did you, how did you get into it? All right. The Equipment actually started, the, the whole business started with me working as a personal trainer and, you know, moving into an independent contractor role to be able to pursue the consulting and seminars that I was doing at the time. So I was assisting Louis Simmons with a lot of those things at that time. So that's where the the name actually started is, you know, it's just, it got to a really weird place where I have you know, 40, 50, sometimes 60 billable hours per week. And then I'd be working on my own company stuff in between clients, but yet I was being paid, you know, an hourly wage for that time in between clients as well. So I I didn't want to lose the gig that I had because it was really good. And, but I still had to be able to work on those other things. So with that in mind, the first products that we brought out were dragging sleds, um, God, I got to think back, uh, training manuals, just simple things that you could put in an ad in Powerlifting USA. And then about a year or a half, year and a half into it, Louie wanted to get out of selling accessory items because he was in the mail order business and basically still is now. And the items he was just tired of dealing with were things like a man array squat attachment, weight releasers, um, safety squat bars, 
um, the gym equipment. So a sumo, a sumo, uh, two by two power rack, uh, a belt, squat belt, a few other pieces. And he pushed that. He didn't push. He gave that to Tracy and I as, you know, cause he wanted to get out of it, but it also helped us tremendously because he gave us the contacts and the resources and he gave us a lot of product on consignment, which, you know, allowed us to have inventory without really having to buy inventory, which we couldn't have done at the time. <laughs> As that fast tracks through the equipment company that he had at that time, the building equipment basically went out of business and didn't tell anybody. So for four, God, it might have been six months. For six months, I'm trying to get updates, you know, from Louie on, because I basically, I was purchasing it through Louie, which was purchasing it through the company, which was in Pennsylvania at the time. And granted, I already took the money, you know, so say you guys buy power racks and now you're wondering four months later where the fuck they're at. And I can't tell you where they're at because Louie doesn't know because they're not returning his calls. And what ended up happening is, um, he drove down to where the company was, found out they were padlocked. They went bankrupt and tell anybody basically fucked us all. Damn. And so Louie was in a bind there. I'm in a bind because I got people's money that I've already spent. You know, so I've used that because the, the company's made on floating cash. Yeah. You know, so if it was back then, the delivery time on equipment was long. It was average was 16 weeks, 12, 16 weeks. So I got your money for your power racks. I'm taking that and I'm buying books from Dragon Door. And then I'm flipping those books, hopefully, before I have to pay for the equipment. Yeah. And that's that, that's cash flow. And what happened during that time is I, I bounced around through a couple different equipment companies that were just as bad is what he was dealing with. And then I found the company that I've been working with for the past 15, whatever years, it's been forever now, out of of South Carolina. And when I first got with them, they didn't want to work with me because I was online and nobody thought you could ever sell equipment online. This is how far back this is going. And, and you know, the, the, they had already, they, they already had, a history of working with a very big company in the industry, which kind of screwed them over. Hmm. So it was all this kind of came together at the right time because it was a very blunt, honest, you know, handshake agreement 15 years ago, which has worked out to be very well for all, for both companies because the, uh, we rely on each other, you know, a lot, but that's where the conversation of quality and all this stuff came in because I didn't want to have to deal with returns on equipment. I didn't want to have to deal with all these other things that you have to deal with in that equipment space because it's the margins are not high. You know, this is manufacturing and now I'm basically there's two companies selling that product. So now the margins are being cut because two companies are doing that. So it was, it was a bigger discussion of here's the quality that we have to have because the real market's going to be in um, the university's high schools hmm. is where the main focus was at. Um, the gym market is kind of an offshoot market, but it's a really hard one to penetrate because of all the different types of uh, equipment and SKUs that you need. You know, it's, we all know, and I've known this from being around for my gyms my whole, fuck, my whole life, is nobody has the best line. 
right? So if you wanted to outfit your own gym, you're going to have several different companies in there because this this leg extension is better than this one and this one's better than this right. one. Yeah. And you're naive to think you're ever going to come up with the ultimate best line. Where So the nuts and the bolts are going to always stay the strength equipment, which would be the power racks, you know, lat pull-downs, mm-hmm. glute hand raises, reverse hypers, things that kind of fit into that mold. So that's that's what I said with a company, there's a lot of offshoots. So the equipment is one one side of that, which mm-hmm. makes up about half of our revenue stream through there. But and as it's as other companies come into the mix and you know the different arenas they're in, it becomes the messaging becomes a little bit difficult because we're not really an equipment company hmm. where, you know, I don't do the manufacturing. I'm more on the retail end. Now what we'll retail, I won't retail anything that I won't use myself where I think that's the best that's out there. And the retail end is what supplies and supports the content. That's how the whole thing was designed originally that the content would always be free and then the profits from the retail is what's going to pay for the content. And that's where the million plus pages online have come from. You know, it's where the videos and all the other stuff comes from because there's no monetization of that. Hmm. And so that's where that happened. Now, the, the equipment also, there's seasonality associated with that, with the markets that we're in. So the obviously the Q4 it's a different market because those are going to be more home gym buyers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Once budgets get approved and then Q2, Q3 do very well for us on equipment, but usually do really crappy for us on apparel wraps, straps and all the other stuff. So a large part of this was how can we string together the seasonality of the different products that we offer so we don't have droughts of, of cash flow throughout yeah. the year. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. I think a lot of builder bodybuilders don't understand cuz again, I've I mean I've been training for almost 40 years and all the gyms I've ever been in, the only elite FTS equipment I ever have seen in gyms is the equipment that I bring in. Same and that's here. bizarre. Yeah. It's bizarre to me. So and and I I have another question too cuz I'm that I'm curious about. I, you can cut me off at any time, Scott, but I'm kind no, of No, this is good, man. Um, as far as bodybuilders need to know that it's not just the equipment, like Dave was saying, the the gear, the and when I say gear, the wraps, the straps, the sleeves, and things like that. This is just really high quality shit. It's really good. The, it, it's just crazy, and, and I'm disappointed that so many bodybuilders don't know about this. If you want your gear to last a long time, you buy quality stuff. You may have to pay a little bit more for it. But it will last you longer. It's like buying a good computer that's going to last you five or six years versus buying one that's slightly less expensive and it lasts you two or three years. So for those of you who don't know about it, check out Elite FTS, check out their gear, check out their apparel. And of course, the equipment. Too. Yeah, exactly. I got a bag right full here of stuff myself. Are twelve years old, and they are about yeah. the same as when I bought them. And no I kidding. Them yeah, hundreds. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there is literally nothing fraying on anything. I think. A, and I think a my big reason. I think a big reason for what you're saying is, and it, it actually would I would chalk it up as one of the potential mistakes I've made over the past 25 years is I've always hyper-focused on a target market of lifters that place training as one of their top three or four priorities in life where I don't care 
about those just starting out the beginners and stuff like that. So in, in the past, I avoided platforms like YouTube because the demographic was too young. Hmm. So in, and, and basically what I was trying to avoid was I did not want to be the muscle and fitness. I did not want to be the men's health. I didn't want to be that because yeah. that's all general low hanging crap. People can find <laughs> anywhere. So I wanted the content on the site. That's a step above that. Right. So if we got article submissions and, and content coming our way, that was that it would get rejected all the time. Hmm. And um, so the that in turn, looking back, you know, was a mistake because the people on YouTube get older. Huh. Everybody gets older. Right. Yeah. You know, so they grow up. So there's been a lot of backtracking with all that. But it also means that. Say if you walk into a gym someplace and you do see our racks in there, you know 100% certain that whoever owns that place or whoever's making the purchasing decisions takes their training way more serious than anybody else because mm -hmm. they know who we are. So most people aren't going to know that because it's not – we don't have Google ads that are retargeting everybody all over the place. You know, We don't have all these other things because it's kind of been – one of those things where I don't know if I really want to have that be my target market, if that makes sense. Absolutely. So by that, it creates a certain degree of scarce scarcity, hmm. but it also makes it really freaking hard to grow. You know, uh, we were talking a lot about business, which is something that I, I definitely wanted to make sure we touched on. But, you know, beyond that, there are a lot of people that are involved in, in like the business of strength, the business of fitness, and that they're not, they're not like a, a true passionate fan of, and you are not that person. Like you are, Dave, you're one of the most intense people that I've never seen you train in person, but I've seen some videos. I remember watching, yeah. um, I can't remember where this, what, like what, what time frame this was, but I remember watching you on a belt squat after you did something else, like you guys were like supersetting something like and you might've been with John, you might've been with him and Scott Stevenson, but you went to a belt squat and that wasn't even the first thing you did. And you started doing reps and you got like 10 and then you just kept going. And it's like, there's this death metal just playing at like so loud ear piercing. And I, I think the video was black and white and there was probably chains involved. And I just was like taken back. Cause this belt squat set went on for minutes like it was just mm -hmm. rep after rep. And I just, I guess I also want to make sure we got into this, man. Where does that intensity come from? Um, I don't know. You know <laughs> I, I, can, I can go to the default answer that, we, you know, every, every meathead has, you know, it goes to getting beat up when I was a kid all the time, you know, but at some point in time, you're going to grow out of all that crap. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's um, it's it's just a mental challenge because I'm not stupid. I know physically that one set isn't going to do shit for me. It's not like I'm going to get two more inches on my quads or 50 more pounds on my squat. If anything, it's probably doing worse <laughs> for me than, 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 than positive. And I completely understand that. But I love it, too. Yeah. You know, and it's it's just just um last week the last every the last week of the year 
there's there's one thing that John and I used to do. We used to deadlift with um, chains off mats for just a challenge set, a high rep set. And I hate deadlifting more than anybody you'll ever speak to. I absolutely cannot stand it, right? But once a year since we've been doing that, I always do it at least once just to see if – because I know what my rep record is. Just to see if I'm still at that same rep record with the same chain, same setup, all this other kind of stuff. Because if I do it, then I know I don't need to ever deadlift the whole year and I can still maintain the rep and, and, um, and if I don't do it, it still doesn't mean I'm going to do it any again. But this, this is one of the one of the scenarios like what you're talking about. And um, we changed some things in our weight room to put the podcast table in the corner and just make the setup a little bit easier. Okay. And the deadlift platform is there now. So for some stupid reason, I don't know why, because now the deadlift is like the main freaking attraction of my gym, which <laughs> I have a problem with. Yeah, I decided to do that. And the one thing I remembered about the set is um, about maybe rep 10 or 11. I did 15. <clears throat> because the way the gym's situated now, I can see the, the squatter dude on the wall in front of me. It's got a red background. And I, you know, you, whenever you do a set, you can kind of like uh, go into the void. But every now and again, you kind of like come back to reality for a split second. Yeah. And then you're like, okay, I need to get back in there. For that split second, I told myself, if I died right now, I would be completely okay with that. And then kept doing three or four more reps. Like that was that right there, whatever that state is, that's like bliss for me. Yeah. I freaking love it. Now it's counterproductive to every training goal I have. But you see what I'm saying? It's 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 a really weird addiction, I suppose. Um, John had a little bit of that, so when you put us together for those training sessions that we did it just compounded and this is this is stuff i couldn't do when i was powerlifting it had to be expressed differently mm. you know with singles and stuff like that because this is i there's no way i would have done any of that crap yeah. but i did a lot of that you know off-season powerlifting before i came to west side that's how i trained all the time i would say almost my off-season if you go back to old school hit training that would be how my off season was aligned, you know, before 1997. So powerlifting meets compete for the meet, you know, take a month off afterwards and then start ramping up using more hit training protocols, which is just that. How can you completely obliviate yourself, yeah. you know, and it seemed to, it worked for me at the time. So I loved it. I love challenge sets and I love the really heavy singles. Everything in between, I can just take it or leave it. I don't really care. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, you know, when, when Skip and I were at Swiss uh, and, and we got to sit in and uh, with the memorial that, that um, you guys put together for John, that was really touching. And, and you know, everybody had a lot of stories that, that and, and some of them were sadder, you know, and it, it definitely mm – -hmm. It definitely was, was uh, you know, some of it was hard to listen to. And when it came to you, I specifically remember you had said that, uh, you know, this isn't what John would want. John would want us to be happy and to remember the good times and to be laughing. And you told some amazing stories there, man, stuff I had never heard before. Like I, And I want to tell you, too, like John has meant a lot to all of us. Like he's influenced yeah. this channel from, this, from the jump, man, since I've been podcasting. Andrew was real close with John 
and he, you know, he's been a big part of, of all of this. So to hear those stories to me were just, you know, it was really impactful, man. And I wanted to, first, I wanted to say thank you for sharing everything. Yeah. And, and second, I'd love to hear you talk some more, man, because I, and I know our audience would too, because he was somebody that uh, I think we all really looked up to a lot. And I know that you guys had a, a really unique and special relationship. And it's interesting too that crossover, you know, because you aren't that traditional bodybuilder guy, but you guys made no. something work. And, 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 and I think that you were both better for it, you know? Yeah, it was, it started because John started writing for teenation and I was on my, I don't want to say my end of writing for T Nation, but it kind of, it was getting to the point with T Nation where I, I was starting to come to the big realization that my best content wasn't even on my own site. Hmm. And then when you have other people that are writing for you, what kind of examples does that set? <laughs> you know, and um, so John had some stuff out there and there was, there was something I was coming back from. I don't know what the heck it was now, but I reached out to him about, I don't know what article that he wrote. It was something in there and that to inquire about one of his programs or whatever the hell it was. And he said that he would, he'll just come out and give me the program and whatever it was. And I looked at the program, I'm like, I can't do this stuff. I mean, this is just, there was an arm day on there. I'm like, I can't do this. <laughs> and um, so, so then when he came out, it was, you know, discussing, you know, laying out, helping me to lay out this foundation because, you know, I, I had to figure out a way to blend what I really want to do in the gym with what I probably should be doing in the gym. And it's, that becomes a weird situation when you're, your whole background is being a strength athlete. And then you want to start putting in a bunch of hypertrophy work, but not tap the resources that you need to recover from the heavy stuff that you're doing. You just mm. can't combine two things. Yeah. You know, something's got to come out and I didn't want to let anything come out. And, um, after the first leg day that we had, that he came out, it was just like, I'm doing this man. And then it was, and he had a story coming in too, because he was just, he was still at the bank you know, so he hadn't really committed to that yet, but he was in the process, you know, so he had a lot of doubts as far hmm. as could he make this work, you know, as an entrepreneur with the clients that he had and, you know, and what would that look like, you know, moving forward? Would it be a paywall? Would it be just online clients? Would it be, you know, ebooks, programs? And I'm telling him, dude, ebooks suck. I, we've, I've had a couple do well, but most of them suck. You don't want to do that. And then it was his pro card. You know, he wanted to get his pro card. And I thought that I could offer a different perspective. And if there's one thing that I've learned about training and even business for that matter, is when you start consulting with people that don't live in the same world that you do, different ideas come to mind. But so you need to discuss those ideas. You can't just have this person from the outside say, do this, do that. Because hmm. I'm not familiar with that bodybuilding world. Yeah. I'm familiar with how to change exercises, you know, to be able to target weak points and how to do exercises in such a way you can get more out of them without having to go really heavy. 
and that's just because I'm so beat up. <laughs> so that was, and then a lot of that was just strategic talk. Like how long do you think this is going to take realistically? You know, and how do you answer when you're going to get your pro card? But it's like, is this like a year? Is this two years? Is what, what is the timeline here? Yeah. Like, what does this look like when you're just going to say it's not going to happen and walk away? Like, what is that? And it wasn't being negative. But it's, if we're going to if we were to lay something out that was the I like long term plans, if we were to lay something out that looks like a quadrennial, then do we have four years or after three years? Are you going to say, look, I'm now old, you know, I'm, I'm not too old to be able to do this. Like, what is this time frame? And then once we had that, it was, you know, where, where, what do you think your weak points are? You know, this kind of stuff. And we knew we had to t bring up his lats. We knew we had to do something about the waistline. You know, which it, it's thick, right? So getting some of the heavier crap off was going to be able to help. And then he was very adamant about his training effort had to go higher. And from where we started, I'm thinking, okay, I'm all for this. But what's this look like? You know, like when we, like two years from now, whatever it's going to be, what does this look like? And his reply was, I don't ever want to have somebody that can come in here and train with us and not walk away and feel like they were not just, they, he wanted them to feel like they just got murdered. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, all right. You know, that's, if we scale it, you know, if you cycle and scale it right over a two year period, then anybody that comes in for any leg training session is going to feel that shit for a long time. Yeah. And, but then it's, so that's kind of how that all started is there was a lot of that dialogue, but where there's also the other side of I've been in this industry for a very long time in the business side of the industry. And I've, I've seen, you know, what happens in all strength sports, bodybuilding included and what, what that looks like as well. And I've seen what it's done to people that could be really good fathers that end up not having kids. You know, people that could end up being, you know, very good husbands or spouses or whatever and end up divorced because all these other type of things. So there are other discussions that we had, too. Like, so when you get this pro card, what's that mean after that? Because you're going to be like 50, right? Or whatever he was going to be. You know, I always joked and said, you know, you're going to be like 65 by the time you get your pro card. But um, but what's what's that look like? You know, and. The, the original agreement was that's when he would retire. When he got his pro card. Yes, because that would be like his Olympia. Because realistically thinking, <clears throat> was he ever going to win the Olympia? Was he ever going to win a pro show? You know, it's these are all things that you look at his stature, you look at his physique. And this was before he went 212. Right, you got to start stacking that up and say, where can you realistically end up with this? And then is it worth, because your, your kids are little. You know, they, they were babies, yeah. you know, when I met him, you know, the, these sacrifices are being made by his kids and by his wife, not by him. Yeah. You know, so, so that was, that was one of the first things was that is let's get this shit under control and in balance, because if it's not in balance, he's a balanced person to begin with, but if it's not in balance and if it starts to get derailed, then all of it gets derailed. Hmm. You know, you start getting in a situation where you think you may end up getting a divorce you think your pro card is going to come in that next year or the in a year and a half hmm. you know realistically probably not you know yeah. the stress and all the other crap that yeah. kind of plays along so that has to be in order 
And um, as I said during Swiss, the one thing that he pissed me off about was when he would get out his pro card and said he was going to, you know, compete in the next show. And then I'm on the phone with his wife saying, are you like good with this? You know, and because this wasn't the deal, right? Yeah. Um, but then he sold me on it and went from there. But it was, it was, there was always stuff, you know, in the gym that was funny where he had, um, I call them bodybuilding isms. You know, like, you feel like, you feel it. Are you pumped? I'm like, dude, don't ever, don't ever ask me if I'm pumped. <laughs> right? That's like, you know, as your dick hard. You know, it's like, <laughs> like this, this does not resonate with me. You know, and the other one was, you know, it's always better to look strong than be strong. And I'm like, who the hell says this? You know? You know, so, so in a lot of the other things that are just, you know, um, bodybuilding isms that we would all make fun of, he legitimately would say. Yeah. All yeah. the time. And seriously, and right? Like, oh, yeah. Oh, seriously. And I don't ever say that again. That's you know? <laughs> amazing. That's good. I mean, there were other, there were other times where there were, there were leg sessions that we had because there's no air conditioning, the fans. I mean, it was terrible. And the warehouse that we were training at the time where we would have ice buckets that we put our hands in between sets, no kidding. ice packs on our necks and back. And these would be three hour leg sessions Yeah, and just burning through whatever electrolytes and all this stuff. I mean, you're drinking, pissing, drinking. Oh, you didn't even piss half the time Yeah, you were sweating so bad. And um, so I mean, his work ethic, there's no doubt that was, it was insane. It sounds like he learned a lot from you, you know, and, and I want to ask you, yeah, I want to ask you, what, what did you learn from him? Um, I learned that bodybuilding goes in these weird waves and you have, and strength is the same. You have this, the science side, right? Where you'll look at things and you'll be, for instance, can you really shape a muscle? Right. I mean, you have the muscle structure that you have. You can hypertrophy, you can grow the muscle. And I mean, the, but he would say, no, that's bullshit. You can't. Right. And then he'd show me examples. And I'd be like, I get what you're saying, but I also see the other side, you know. And and he's like, what other side is there? The person did not have lower lats to begin with, and now they do. Like, no, now they just have lats, you know? So there, was, there, there was a little bit of change of my perspective on exercise selection and as far as, you know, bodybuilding and weak points for a bodybuilder. Yeah. And, he, and it wasn't really that much different than the exercise selection for – somebody that might be weak at a three-quarter lift or their bench press or weak at a certain spot or their bench press or weak because of whatever that was. So I had to, he taught me how to kind of take that away from the biomechanics of a barbell and what the person looks like under the barbell and then just the biomechanics of how a person is moving and then how their muscles are working, which was, he was an anatomy chart. Yeah, he was really thin skin. So Mm -hmm. when you can physically see, you know, the fibers moving, you know, and 
the upper lats, the erectors, you know, the traps, the, especially with back work. It became very easy to see, wow, look at this guy. He's very rear delt dominant on everything that he's doing for his lats. Yeah. He needs to, you know, depress his shoulders, pull his rib cage, do something to get that stress there. And so that a lot of that came from John. And then he would have other bodybuilders come out and train with him. And you can see this. It's like, this is obvious. This is not doing a whole lot for your lats at all, but it's building the shit out of your traps and rear delts, yeah, yeah. which is why, you know, they're so big. So that was a big part. The, um, what about minor? Yeah. Well, I was going to say like, so I'm thinking too, though, like some of my training partners in life, the people that I've literally gone to hell with in the gym, some of those people have become some of my best friends too. And I know that you guys became friends outside of the gym as well. Um, And and, and I guess I was kind of almost thinking in that direction, you know, we learn things from people that we just don't expect just through, you know, interacting with them. And, and, and I guess, can you talk a little bit about that side of your guys's friendship too? Yeah. Yeah. John trusted everybody too much. (laughs) And that you guys, you guys know this, man, it was, it was a fault of his. I'm, I'm paranoid to the, the highest degree. So you have people, two different people on two completely different ends of the spectrum, which was, that's, that's one of the biggest things that I miss about him. Because if, if I had something I was dealing with, you know, or if he had something he was dealing with, then we could speak to that. Of course, you know where my perspectives lies. You know, it's like, here's, here's the worst outcome. Therefore, it's happening, man. And that's, and that's not a bad thing because that's how you grow. So expect it, you know, lean into it because where he was on the other side, like, oh, no, he's a really good dude. It's, this is all good. It'll all work out. Really good guy. The answer is always in the middle. Huh, you know, so yeah. then I was, you know, I could come back to him and say, well, what if, what if, what if he's not, you know, cause the other ones were really good guys too, but then this X happens. So what if he's not like, what's the plan there? And then he would come to me and say, well, what if this, what, what if this worst case scenario isn't actually that, you know, what, what if the, what is the best case scenario of this? Yeah. I never thought of that. You know, <laughs> about, you know the, the worst case not happening and that was that by far was the biggest, you know, because he was so optimistic, you know, and trustworthy. Probably, I mean, he he had reservations on people. He would just rather make the mistake on being too trustworthy. Yeah, not benefit trustworthy of the doubt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I can relate to that. Um, he he always said, man. Dave's my mentor in business. Hmm. And I think this is touching on exactly because like you said, he was always maybe a little too trusting, a little too um, wanting to see, you know, the the good in people, I guess, especially yeah. in business situations. Mm-hmm. I, I'm thinking back to like the prime situation, all the bullshit mm-hmm. with Aaron and PJ over the years and even clients that, you know, he thought he had a good relationship with. And then he found out there in South Africa selling his plans and keeping all mm. the profits and unbeknownst to him. So maybe um, is there any particular situations you can think of where you had to say, John, this guy's trying to fuck you? Like, no. Oh, I, I remember all those, you know, and the, the one that you're talking about, I was saying that from the beginning, from the jump, like this does not look good. You know, this, this doesn't make sense. 
not only that, but the contract didn't look, didn't make sense. There were just weird things associated with it. And it just, it didn't seem right. And, and I get what he was trying to do. I really do. Because it was centered around the, the intra, which he was really freaking proud of, you know, and that started, I believe with, um, you know, biotest, but then it, it graduated into John's formula, which I do still believe is available through True Nutrition now. And um, but that was one. I mean, some of the other ones. The, the biggest one, to be honest with you, wasn't that. The biggest one is when um, when he was having problems with his wife. That that by far, you know. And I spoke about that at Swiss too, because that is that was a turning point. You know when. You know, when you're training with somebody, that was a turning point for our relationship, I guess, as well. Because when you're training with somebody, you don't really know them. You, 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 they're training partners. Yeah. You know, I've had people I've trained with for 15 years. I can't really, I don't even know their wife's name. You know, it doesn't matter. <laughs> you're in the gym. I just train with them. It doesn't matter. Um, but he was, he, he mentioned that he was having, you know, issues <laughs> with his wife and, and what they were. And it was he said that she'd be better off with somebody that was from the church. And that pissed me off because it's like, okay, here's two things going on here. You, I thought this pro card mattered. You know, now you're just going to just fuck that all up because huh. you see that, you know, the grass is greener on the other side. And that's not actually true. You know, why don't you just be the person that she wants you to be? What's so freaking hard about that? You got married for a reason. You know, you right. took vows for it. So I, I pushed it back on him hard and um, because he needed it. You know, and uh, then he went and did it, you know, not only that, but he actually the faith became not doing it for her, but doing it for him. You know, mm-hmm. so when it comes to John's humbleness and the persona and all this stuff that people see on the Internet and see on his YouTube mm-hmm. channel, that's from Mary. That's not John. Mary made John, you know, and that that is a very important thing. That granted, John, yes, he's still John. The training knowledge is still all in there, but all that, all the stuff that he's known best for now, is from Mary. You know, it's not from, you know, any other place but that. And the fact that you know he looked inward, you know, to to figure out how to become a better human, you know, and then was receptive to having somebody call him out on his own bullshit, which is very hard, you know, for a lot of us to get people like that in our lives, right? Mm -hmm. Because you reach a certain status, you know, in whatever endeavor that you're in. And then the older you get, people, they they don't want to insult you. They don't want to, you know, hurt your feelings. They don't want to piss you off or whatever it's going to be, you know, so you end up being surrounded by people that just agree all the time. And then they, so you you don't know you know what you're saying now is bullshit or not bullshit. So until somebody calls you out on it, and yeah. that that situation there kind of opened the door for us to call each other out on our bullshit. Huh. You know, so there, so that's and that's that's a it's an important thing. Well, it's the mark of a good marriage as well. Uh, I think when you come together and you're able to balance and pull those things. I mean, it's, it's very similar to the relationship that you have with him in the sense that you're both coming from different directions and on a lot of things you're meeting in the middle. And I think it's, it, it says a lot about the type of 
person that Mary is. It says a lot about the type of person John is as well, because we all know that the position that John was in, he was dealing with, I think, a lot of sycophantic uh, mm-hmm. you know, people who he had to kind of probably decipher and try to figure out is this person uh, close to me because they want something from me or to gain something versus do they genuinely like me as a person? And, and I think in this industry, it's also very difficult to not get caught up in that. I'm a celebrity. I always say a faux celebrity, but you know, I'm a celebrity and all these people think I'm great and they're going to agree with everything. I'm, and then you have to go home and you're just dad. Or you're Mm -hmm. just the husband. And for him to be able to balance that out, I just, from the outside, and I I knew John, but I didn't know John as well as you guys do. And I only knew about Mary by discussing with John the parallels that our wives had about how they were kind of apathetic about the industry in the sense that they didn't really love it, but they didn't hate it because of what it provided for for us, uh, and not just, you know, revenue stream or anything, but just our passion for what we do. So we always laughed and said our, 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 if our wives ever got together, they would talk about an eye roll about the industry itself of everything that they've heard over all the years. And I think that that balance, I know I have it with my wife and I always got the impression from speaking with him. And I finally got to meet Mary at Swiss and I didn't get to talk with her very long, but she it didn't surprise me that she was as, uh, the person that I anticipated that I expected. She was very sweet. She, I could very clearly see that that was, I always say, you know, his better half. And I do think well, that she with, kept yeah. him very grounded. With, with the industry and say spouses and so forth, what and my own wife included, what they need to be reminded of, and I think that we we lose this ourselves a lot of times. Is all industries and all businesses and all sectors have crappy people in it? Every everything does. You know, bodybuilding is probably no worse than Wall Street. We just don't work on Wall Street, right? So it's <laughs> yeah. just you know, it's it, there, there's good there's good and bad, you know, of all of it. And when you're a spouse or you're a significant other, you see more of the bad than you do the good. Right. Sure, because agree. you see the ego of the lifter that you're with. And then the only time you actually see the sport is on game day. If it's a powerlifting meet or a bodybuilding show, people are not really themselves on those days because it's a competition. It's focused, you know, and, you know, it's, it's an ego contest. And there's a lot of other things going on. So a lot of what they see is not appealing at all. But what they need to remember is when they have people like us that are working in the industry, you can look at the industry and define it like many do our government. Our government's corrupt. Boom. Fine. Good. We got it. No problem. But anybody that really knows a whole lot will tell you what you really need to do is to make sure that your own house is in order, that your own family's in order, and then your own community's in order, because that's where you can make the biggest difference. So when you're in these industries where those significant others need to look and where we need to spend more of our own time looking is who is the end user and what are they benefiting? Hmm. So in John's case, he sells tons of programs. There's tons of programs out there. There's a 16-year-old kid. There's a 15-year-old kid. There's a 14-year-old kid that just purchased one of these programs or is doing one of these programs and loves training and looks forward to every time they go in the gym and has an idea what they're doing now. You know, and that right there 
is the consumer of the industry. Hmm. And that is what I will remind Mary of when I speak to her every now and again, you know, Hmm. because she's still in the industry, but remember who the end user is. Don't get clouded with the politics that all fall above that. That's great. Good chatter and good drama, but that's not life, you know, because if they all realize that, and then they see the impact and the differences that leaders in these industries have, they're, they're changing people's lives. You know, they're, they're helping people become better lifters and better bodybuilders. And they're, they're making a difference in that small sphere, but there's a lot of small spheres that add up, you know, to make a big difference. So it's, that's the one thing that, I'll bitch about all these industries to no end. We can go up for hours, you know, <laughs> on drama of all that. But yeah. I'm, 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 I'm attuned enough, and John was attuned enough to be able to separate that and say, okay, that's that. That's just one part of it. That really doesn't even need to occupy a whole lot of my mental space. This is the bigger part. What difference is being made? Like, is this kid, you know, now going to, you know, get stronger and build confidence and then at some point in time, stand up for himself, you know, then years later, you know, well, let me use that then to segue to this question, because we're talking about the impact that John has had. I mean, he impacted so many people in such a great way that it's, it's mildly envious. If I'm being honest, (laughs) maybe a little bit more than mildly, but with the relationship that you had with John, with him being a bodybuilder and you guys trained together, was there ever a point when you thought to yourself, I really want to get on stage, oil myself down, put on <laughs> trunks, and go out there and dance around? Dance no, around? Hell no. Hell no. <laughs> well, well, the, tell us about the diet you did. Um, yeah. Well, um, I, well, first, you got pretty I, peeled. I did. Yeah, I, I did. So it's, once I graduated, because I started powerlifting when I was 12, 13 years old. And so once I graduated high school, went on to college, I found a, a gym that had like equipment, you know, like machines and shit, not just power racks and barbells and stuff that I used for five years or whatever. And so I, and powerlifting, you had powerlifting USA, but then you might have one article and like flex in the very back of the magazine which is like right. one half, half the page is an ad and the other half is a powerlifting article. Right. And so it's, and my roommate was a bodybuilder at the time that won the Ohio. So I'm like, maybe I'll just, I'll do a show, you know? So I did. And I got killed because I didn't diet that hard. It was, you I, did I was a bodybuilding, you did a bodybuilding show? I, 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 I did three of them. Oh, I didn't know that. I was actually referring to the diet you guys did. I think John kind of prepped you when he was also dieting and you you got real peeled. Yeah. yeah. I want to know a little bit about that, but but finish your story about bodybuilding. Yeah. 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 No, the bodybuilding. So it's, I got wiped the first, like fifth out of five in the team division the first time. (laughs) And it was, it was bad. Right. And I'm like, this sucks. Like this sucks. And the guys I was training with says, of course it's going to suck when you just placed dead last in the team division. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know, so it's, I did, I did another show and that was a little better. It was like third or something, something like that. And again, it was like, this sucks. This is, I, I like the, you know, I like the training. 
I love the training. That was a really good change. I love that. The diet didn't make much difference one way or another. It's, it, I can take it or leave it. it. It didn't make that much difference. The, um, but the reward sucked. And then of course it was, well, you didn't win. So then I did one more show and it was supposed to be a qualifier for the Ohio. So I did that show, won that show. And then I realized as I'm standing on stage with a trophy that was taller than me, which was kind of cool because most of them are like little barbell things. And I'm, 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 I'm basically the lights come up a little bit and I realize I'm standing up here in my underwear and everybody in the crowd is wearing boat neck, boat neck sweatshirts with tank tops underneath, you know, where you can see this. Oh yeah. We know those well. And yeah. Like T, T Michael, T Michael. Yeah. Oh yeah. And Skip still I'm, wears I'm that. Like this, I'm like, this is terrible. This is not like standing up with, with heavy squat. And so I go, I go home that night and I eat for like eight hours straight, pass out in my apartment in a coma. And my, my training partner picks me up the next morning to go train. And he sees like, there's Oreos on the floor, Dorito bags, um, ice cream. The, the whole floor is just, it's, it, it was terrible. It was pizza boxes. And he says, well, I guess you're not doing the Ohio. And I said, well, what's your clue? I'm like, I'm going to tell this to you one more time. This sucks. I'm like, I respect what you do, and I like what you do, but this is not working for me. I'm out. And so anyhow, and then that segues into, I, I go back into bodybuilding, and I put on 30, 40 pounds of lean body mass, or back to powerlifting, and I put on, now I'm a two, close to 275 from a two. 42 and my total dropped 200 pounds and then that's kind of where louis enters because the all the muscle i put on was not functional for what yeah. i do as a powerlifter now getting to what you're asking about john is the after i retired from powerlifting i needed something to train for mm. because even now i still need something to train for because if this is just about exercise and fitness i probably won't do it you know oh, i just it's never been that, you know, since I've been 12. That's a paradigm shift. I don't know if I'm mentally strong enough to, to make, huh. but I found ways to hack it. You know, just I will find something to train for each time. Yeah. So with, with Justin, he had, you know, the carb cycling thing. And then I may have worked with Shelby for it with John Berardi first. And then it was, you know, Justin, which was carb cycling. Then I believe it was Shelby. He was both of them I worked with a little bit different, both kind of carb cycling. Shelby's way more heavy on cardio, which sucked, by the way. And, um, <laughs> and then with John, it was different because with those guys beforehand, it was more about I want to diet down and then rebound back up, you know, for the post show rebound, which is supposed to be some mysterious best way to put on muscle mass. Gain 20 pounds of not, lean mass. Yeah. Yeah. And it's. <laughs> There's interesting stories with that too, but anyhow, that with John, it was I kind of wanted to do that because my my set point changed to where my body weight at that point was now like it's 270, 275, 280, really ridiculously high. Where when I power lifted, just weighing 280 was a task. Now huh. the muscle mass obviously is different. When I was 280, you know, years years back, it was not. It was more fat than it was the lean body mass I carried before. With John, it was like, how in the hell can I change this set point to 250 hmm. and, and, and not rebound back up? 
And so his little trick was basically just a moderate diet. So five meals a day, clean foods for the most part. You know, if they're not clean foods, it's still going to fall within the calorie protein range, just simple swapping and changing. And, you know, checking body fat every couple of weeks and weighing standard. What we didn't have to do were the photos and crap like that. Because I didn't care. I'm not doing a show for one thing. He can see me when he comes out to train. That's another thing. And, um, but once I got to 240, I think it was, um, I'm starting to think, okay, we're done. Like, this is cool. Like, this is over. And now we're going to go into maintenance mode, man, because 250 is what I want to maintain. Yeah. You know, not 240. And, he's, and he, John, played these stupid mental games, man. He would say, <laughs> he would say you see that in your shoulder. I'm like, dude, I can't see my shoulder. There's no mirrors in the gym. So, no, I don't see it in my shoulder. So, you take a picture. You see that there's a vein about ready to pop out. Or you ever have a vein in your front desk? And I'm like, I'm like, no, actually, I haven't. And this kind of bothers me because I've seen big fat fucks have it. And I'm like, how can these big super heavyweights have that big gross vein in their front belt? But I don't. I'm like, this. That was the halo so test like, popping through. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> two more weeks and that will come out. So he started this two more weeks shit. And um, so that kept going. If it wasn't that, then it was, you know, you see that vein in your cab, it's going up through your, you know, your adductor now. So that's going to really, really start to look like a garden hose. I could do, I could do that. That's, I can do that. Two more weeks. And then it was, yeah, two more weeks. And then it's like, okay, two more weeks. So you, you're, you almost have a veins in your abs. Pains in my abs, like this shit ain't never happened. <laughs> anyhow, this this keeps going, and it, and it, I remember that one Saturday because I woke up, I weighed myself, and I was like two twenty four, and I go in and I'm like, John, I don't give a shit what you said. We're done. I, there's nothing else that's gonna pop out in me that I give a shit about at this point. We're done. And he just kind of snickered a little bit. Said, so, when you normally would rebound, how many? How much did you usually gain? I said about thirty freaking pounds every freaking time. Because where's that going to put you? And I'm like, you son of a bitch. Right <laughs> Two fifty. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, right where you yeah, wanted to yeah. be. Yeah, that's played out with that. Yeah. Can I segue a little bit? Yeah, of course, man. Because uh, we got a, we could be talking great stories about John all day, but um, yeah. I was really interested in the you know your your business model of you know the, the equipment sales is really just there to be able to provide the funds for the education. Yeah, and yeah. has education been like like a big driving force for you like your whole life? And what what kind of inspired that? I love that. Well, the the vision of the company when I when it was founded was to live, learn, and pass on. Right. And this, this, a lot of thought went into this. I would not be who I am if it wasn't for the coaches and the power lifters that helped guide me as I grew up. Right. So it's my dad threw me in a powerlifting gym when I was 12 because I was getting my ass kicked all the time. And um, those guys taught me how to get strong mentally and physically, you know, and it also, and at the same time, my earlier teen years were starting to go astray. Because once I started to get a little bit stronger and learning some wrestling skills, there was this um, 
revenge that I thought I had to seek mm. on a lot of people, which I did, which was starting to become a problem, <laughs> right? Which was, you know, which was several chips or trips to juvenile court for things like that. So anyhow, these, the first off, those guys, they're 40, 35, 40 years old. They didn't have to help a fucking snot nosed 13 year old kid learn how to squat bench and deadlift nor drive me three hours to a powerlifting meet and help coach me at these meets. They didn't have to do that. And if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be sitting here today talking to you now. I also had, you know, a wrestling coach after I got thrown out of college or flunked out of college, you know, call me out on my bullshit, you know, tell me that I'm not stupid like everybody said I was. I grew up in special ed classes and barely graduated high school. So the, my whole education system was basically, you're the idiot, go sit in this class, here's your tutor, mm. we're just going to get you to graduate, and that's the main goal. So I graduated high school without ever taking algebra, biology, I, I, had, or I had rock science, I had business math, you know, I had a reading class, you know, and stuff like that. And how, how in the hell I ended up in college is still kind of a mystery, but the, uh, but my first year was taking courses I was supposed to take in high school. Then I transferred and I flunked out. And then when I came back, this wrestling coach, you know, pulled me aside and asked me how school was doing. And while I was there, I found a library, which was kind of cool because I'd never been in a library in my life. Hmm. And, um, I found that, uh, international journal of sport nutrition, the Soviet sport review, the NSCA journal, all these strength and conditioning resources. And every time my girlfriend would go study, I went and I just went up to the shelves and I read all that crap, photocopied all these, all these things. So when this coach asked me how it was going, I went on this tirade about two hours on how linear periodization isn't as good as block periodization. And we probably need to look at block periodization to be, and I've been playing around with all this. And so he, he pressed me on the school and I said, I, you know, I flunked out. So I'm back because, you know, I, I should be working at one of the factories in town. That's mm. how I was tracked. That's what I'm here basically to do. But I'm going to kick ass in the gym because I just learned all this other shit. So, fuck it. I mean, training's always been my first priority anyhow. So this all worked. He called me out and said that I wasn't stupid. I was just fucking lazy. And mm. that if I could go on those shelves and learn that, then there's no reason why I can't learn algebra, algebra two, anything I wanted to learn. I just wanted to do it. And um, that with my head a lot and it made me go back to school which ends up you know getting the degree in that so louis simmons is another one you know he didn't have to give us product on consignment you know he didn't have to invite me to come train at west side barbell you know or teach me the things that he knew so this i feel i owe these guys you know because that's how the gyms used to be you would go into gym you'd earn your dues right you you'd, you'd have to train hard and i mean the whole goal of being in the gym was how do I get with that group over there? Right. Mm-hmm. And you can't just walk up. At least then you just can't walk up and say, Hey, I want to train with you guys. Yeah. You know, look at you and like, get your ass out of here. You're a cop, <laughs> you know, or some shit. <laughs> <laughs> you, had, you know, you, you had to earn your way in. And then once you were in, you know, then it became a matter of, okay, this is awesome. Now I want to become the best here. And then once I'm the best here, I want to go somewhere else where I'm the best. And, but all those people along the way, I didn't pay a dime for any of that. None of that. You know, so now I'm online and I'm looking up strength and conditioning information. The forums are junk. All this other stuff is junk. 
And it's like, well, how, how can I answer questions, you know, and not have to deal with trolls and all this bullshit that comes along with it? I just want to answer it, be done, and then go to the next so I can help more people by doing that. Yeah. And so this, the, the website started as just a Q&A. It didn't hmm. have a store. And then um, after that, then people started asking about products and stuff like that. So the drive is coming from this is this is what the gym has made me who I am, the good parts and the bad parts, you know, and it, it can help a lot of other people, as we all know. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing the things that we're doing. So how can I give access to that 12 year old kid, that 13 year old kid who was me or who is, you know, now and not have to have them go through a and paywall and all this other stuff to get good information but they need to be serious about what they do thus it needs to be one of their top priorities to actually yield the kind in other words they need to earn their way kind of like yeah. used to back in the day you know they got earned their way into the better content you know then when they find it that's what's there so that has been the vision from the very beginning the tricky part was how do you pay for it Right. Because now if you're going to have, you know, at one point in time, we were putting out 62 articles a month. And that was, you know, before social media and we had training logs and we had Q&As, we would do around 4000 Q&As a month. On average, there was somewhere between six and eight hundred blog posts between the training logs and coaching blogs every single month. And then 62 articles where this, that's a lot of editing. That's a lot of programming. You know, that's a lot of things that go into that. How's that paid for? And yeah. that's where the product come in, where content's huh. changed, obviously, a lot in 25 years. Yeah. Where now content's more expensive, right? Because now you need video people. You need, yeah. so it's, it's a diff. Now it's becoming a different sphere because the cost of content is probably five times higher than it's ever been. Hmm. with the revenue not being five times more. So now it's like with the podcast, how do we find sponsors that can offset some of this cost, yeah. but not take over all of the cost. So I can't tell them to fuck off. If I, <laughs> yeah. you yeah. know, I don't want to be held into anybody, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah. if, if there's that and then other means to be able to produce it, but the, the vision hasn't changed. It's, it's how the content has, you know, the, the way it's being produced and how it's being tracked and how it's being, because you, you, I still have to figure out, is this providing a return? Because most of it doesn't, but is it providing mm-hmm. enough of a return to at least just pay for the content staff? Wow. And that's, is it hard because it's been, constantly changing like more, like every year it feels like there's a new app or new whatever out there. Is, is it hard to keep hard. up with? Yeah. Yes. I mean, as, as far as what the message is, no. Hmm, Where right. to put the message, yes. Because mm-hmm. the message requires, you know, there's so many social media channels. Yeah. Now it's, it's, there, there's a different dynamic when it's a company that you're running instead of an individual. Where if it's an individual that does their own online coaching or whatever it is, they're posting their own Instagram, they're posting their own Facebook, they're doing their own YouTube. Maybe they're outsourcing editing on whatever it is per video. And it's, it's all them doing it. Right. So their, their only cost is an opportunity cost. Right. 
Now, if you have to take that and say to yourself, okay, now I need to hire a guy to do YouTube. And that's probably going to be 45, 50,000 a year. Now that person probably isn't going to want to do Instagram and all the other stuff. So who's going to handle all those things? Yeah. You know, and it's like, God damn, you know, at what point in time, you know, and then when you're, when you're a company, everybody's quotes are 10 times higher because they think you make way more than you really do. Sure. You know, so it's, it's crazy, you know, with, I've had quotes just to be able to strip the podcast clips in shorts. Yeah. $4,000 per podcast. Good God. Good God. You know, like there's no way that's going to, now that's an outlier. Yeah. But you know, it's, it's different because you got to, for those that are doing it themselves, you need to ask now, if you were to hire somebody, how would that look? Right. So then that's the space. So then it's like, where, where do they put it? And then if it is your own personal Instagram, are you really going to let somebody actually post on that? Because I won't. Yeah. yeah. I'll let them post on the company one. But if it's my personal one, hell no. I don't care mm-hmm. if they're a contractor, who they are. They're not going to get in there and have access to that. Yeah. Dave, I got to tell you, man, I didn't realize, first of all, I, I, I'd always seen Elite as being, I thought the equipment was the main thing and that the education was in addition to that. That number one. And I don't want to make this about me, but I I know you don't know my story, but I do want to take just a minute to share that uh, I I had gotten clean in recovery from drugs and alcohol uh, 2005, and I had known bodybuilding as a kid, but I came back to it at that time, and it had done so much for me uh, that my goal had become to, to help to share that with other people so they could have their own version of the experience I had. And, and through that, I started a Q&A and then I got to get paid for that Q&A and eventually that became a podcast and that became many podcasts and that's evolved into what we're doing today. It's, it's, yeah. It really just strikes me as being a, um, a similar drive and everything you're talking about, about where you're at now, those are the steps I'm trying to work toward are I'm looking this year at, you know, how do I, how do I pay people to do things? Because when you do, you couldn't do everything you're doing yourself, man. I, you know, I saw the studio you guys had set up in the gym. I saw all your equipment, man. I saw your people walking around shooting stuff like that literally blew me away the level you've been able to take it to. And that's, that's where I want to get. It's been amazing just to see that. I, and I can see like, you wouldn't be able to do it yourself. You just wouldn't, you have to have the network you have and having the skills to manage all the people that you have to manage. It's, uh, it's, it's very impressive, man. It's very cool. Yeah. There's not, we have less staff than you think. Okay. There's definitely under 15, but where I'm very blessed and fortunate is, you know, Sheena, who's our senior content manager, she'll be with us. It'll be 10 years. I mean, Mm -hmm. May, you know, and our customer service has been with me 10 years. The sales rep has been with me 10 years. You know, a warehouse manager is 10 years. So I got enough people that have been with me for a long enough period of time that they're, they're great people, you know, and, it, and it, it, without them, we wouldn't be able to do any of this. The, the fastest turning department is definitely content, 100%. You know, so that that's always hard, you know, to find people that are going to stick 
Yeah. And, and a lot of that now can be outsourced as far as editing and stuff like that. And the outsourcing of that can be done cheaper than actually having to hire an employee. Hmm. but you lose certain control. It's, it's always evolving. Let's put it that way. So yeah. yes, you're going to be frustrated. I'm sure you are now. It's going to always stay that way. Yeah. It never changes. I yeah. wish it did. And then YouTube throws a curveball at you and takes all your money away for swearing. It can, it's but crazy. you know, my pushback on that is you shouldn't be completely dependent upon what the YouTube ad I agree. is either. I agree. You know, that's, that's gotta be a piece of it because that can go away. Yeah. You know, yeah. even a any of the sponsors that I have can go away. Yeah. You know, so how, how's it always, and this is my paranoid self, right? This is the, yeah. where John would step in. Right. And it's just like, how can this still work? If all of that went away, yeah, yeah, how does it still go, right? Because that—that's the lowest hanging part that needs to move, hmm. and it's—it's. It's, I used to try to keep double people in content. So if somebody was sick or quit, I had somebody as a backup. You know, that was a good idea for a while, but it destroys a culture. You know, so hmm. it's always evolving. So there's the internal part of the content which nobody sees which is kind of good sometimes. Then there's the external, which is what everybody does see. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's finding ways to keep that relevant to your target market. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and I think the big thing too is for me is not compromising with the vision, you know, because there are, I mean, sometimes we may talk about things that won't necessarily be able to be monetized and that's okay because it's important yeah. to us to keep the vision the way we keep it, you know, versus trying to change to please a sponsor or to please YouTube or whatever else, you know? So we can still swear. I just want to make sure. Of course. Of course. If we have to, <laughs> if we have to, <laughs> Dave yeah, has it, to. It, 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 yeah, it's, it's after three to five minutes where yeah. I've, had to, I've had to work on it. I've had to work on it too, because I've seen a couple of the podcast clips, you know, a couple of them will do well. Yeah, you know, other ones. I'm like, man, what happened here? Yeah, like, well, you know, you, you said the f word, and like, are you kidding me? Oh, like, yeah. this is like, like zero because of this. Like, yeah. just honestly, that would it. like, I don't know if I'd want those listeners if they get turned off by dropping an f bomb here and there. Like, come on, like, it's not the listeners; know. it's the it's the platform not pushing it yeah. because of it. Yeah. 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 That's true. yeah. And that's where the monetization thing comes in because if you're not monetized, then the platform doesn't push you anymore yeah. you know they push the content that they know they can make money off of do you guys have anything else we want to talk about yeah uh what was your favorite or hardest workout in one of your compounds and who was it with the hardest one was by myself and that was it's good to have it that way because then no one can verify <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm yeah. I'm, I've, I've watched enough yeah. of your videos, Dave, to know that you would be bullshit. Yeah. Now, so it was, it was, it was on a leg day, and um, it was. I got in that stupid mindset, kind of like the bell squat thing you were talking about, you know, on, <laughs> on, on a leg, on a leg press, and it was. I was, I was pissed going in, frustrated going in, and uh, it's just one thing led to another, and one led to another. I mean, it was. There were probably seven different challenge sets throughout the training <laughs> session. Then I de- then I decided that out of everything, the leg press was the hardest. So I was going to go do that again. Yeah, which was like an upset with a strip set and all this other stuff. And um, 
But then after I got done with that, I passed out. And I woke up in my own feces and in my own urine. And I thought this was the greatest thing. And I, I called John because it was like on a Wednesday night or something. I'm like, dude, you ain't going to believe what just happened. So I'm laying this all out. I'm like, I just woke up in my own shit. And then I remember, I remember saying, you want me to send you a picture? And he's like, hell no, you're not sending me a picture. And then he starts lecturing me about, you're never allowed to train your legs by yourself. You're lucky you didn't die. Yeah. And, um, but that I that was by far something I don't ever want to repeat again, because when that Saturday, whoever came out was a nurse and I'm telling the stories, I think it's all cool. And then she explains <laughs> it all to me like, no, you 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 were almost dead. Good and I'm like, no, I wasn't dead. <laughs> you know, if I was dead, I wouldn't be here right now. You know? <laughs> but, um, but that that was probably the one that tops the chart, because if I've ever gone too far, it was that. Whew. Well, I can say that never happened to me. I do not train hard. I just yeah. want to say for the record, yeah. well, I do not well, train hard. Let me ask you, you strike me as someone that does happened. this day. Like, especially, like, if you know you're going in and it's, you know, Saturday, you're having a leg day with someone that you know is equal to the challenge. Would you start thinking about it, like, Friday morning, Friday afternoon, mm. Friday night? Like, it'd be on your mind. And it was almost it was like an anxiety that was building. It was almost like a relief just to do the damn thing because you'd, you'd already done something similar to that maybe the week before, but maybe attacking a new weight or a new, a new um, personal best or something like that. For, for the bodybuilding hypertrophy training. No, I never hmm. thought about things like that until I was in there. Um, now for the strength work, that's where it's going. It is, yeah. 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 If it's, um, if I'm in a peaking phase or pushing and I, and there's something that it's not just training. It's going to require more mental effort than in focus and what would be needed. I'm probably thinking about that for at least a week before, maybe mm-hmm. two. You know, some of the bigger ones, it's all year. You know, so there's, there's huh. always something each year that I know is going to take me a year to be able to get to. You know, because it has to be phasic. So you got to, you know, there has to be downtimes. There has to be pushes. And then you... Mm-hmm you're not going to get where you need to get in one push. It needs to come down and push back. So checks and balances. So those lifts, and there's usually two or three that I have each year. I mean, they're, they, they are to be done sometime between October and December, you know, so like year end goals, if you will, the only difference between the way that I train those now compared to when I was powerlifting is I don't have a set day. Like powerlifting, you have a meet, you have a competition, you have a set day. Yeah. My day can float by three months. So if I'm too beat up, I can back down. I don't have to force it. Where most of my injuries that I've accumulated because were always because I was forcing to be able to get something on a set date. Where if that date could have just pushed, you know, a week, two weeks, three weeks. Gotcha. Then I wouldn't have had to push through. I could have trained around. And um, so I have that. That's the way I kind of structure my training now. So there are some, and usually the squats, the one that's going to require more focus than anything. Yeah. Most, most of the training is just checking the boxes, you know, but then the other ones, yeah, it requires focus. And I love that. Without that, I wouldn't, I don't know what I did. Hmm. Yeah. 
Now, sometimes with the things with John, it was trying to think of, and I know he was probably doing the same, like, what can we do that's going to be more brutal than what we did before? Yeah. You know, and that's, that became a little bit more challenging. And then that also becomes challenging because, say, John's back's messed up. Like, okay, his lower back's messed up. So now we have to take this off, this off, this off, this off, this off. Yeah. And kind of structure around that. Mm-hmm. So a All lot right. of pivoting. So we'll we'll have one we we'll have one more question for you, and I think it was Andrew. I think you came up with this one. Was what was one thing about life that you learned from Louis Simmons? I know we, you've gotten to tell us a lot about uh, just how influential he had been to you. It sounds like in business and in training, just in so many areas. And I know it's like kind of a big one to just drop on you. No, it's um. Louis had this saying, basically, you live by your own sword, you know? So, I mean, he, if anybody lived by his own code, he did Hmm. bar none. So it was more of what, what would be my code, you know, that I want to live by and staying. I don't want to say staying within the rails because I think that was a fault of his, yeah. you know, that he stayed too within his own rails did all the time, but to still have that focus on who you are and embracing who you are, but maybe add a passing lane, you know, instead of just having a one lane road, you know, have one <laughs> that's, that's got a it. passing lane, you know, just to dodge some things here and there. And um, because that man's focus on who he was, his strengths, his faults, he knew, and he was 100% fine with it. And he didn't give age what anybody else thought in one way or another way to a point that I, it's an admirable and I admire it, but, and I, I want that, but there needs to be some flexibility hmm. because it's misinterpreted. Right. So he, he lived in a bubble. I live in a bubble, so I for me to sit here and say he lived in a bubble is a big thing. But he did. He lived in a in a in a very 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 tight bubble, which is a, a decent thing. When you're you're more out in the industry, I think you need to have a passing lane, you know, because otherwise, you know, too many things are going to be misunderstood, misconstrued, or, or just you know that. So it's he knew the the the. Other thing I learned from him in the opposite thing was to to know your bias and understand that there's other ways. Huh. Right? To to, to him there's one there's one way, his way, right? And he's allowed to have that bias. It's freaking Louis Simmons, right? That's kinda <laughs> like saying like you know, this like like Ken Leisner was, you know, a hit guy. He's allowed to have that bias. He's like the hit guy, you know, Edward Darden. It's like the hit guy is allowed to have that bias. Um, but when, when I'm looking and seeing those other people in the industry and then I see, I have a bias Yeah. and I don't, I don't sell training. I don't sell programming. I want to show people how they can become, there's lots of ways yep. to get where you want to go. I want to show all those different ways. Cause I've used a lot of different ones. So I need to be very cognizant of my bias where he, he wasn't, 
it's like fuck off they don't know what they're doing yeah like, but still, you know and, and but he in his spirit and his heart he truly truly believed that yeah and um so it's that was the one thing i learned from the opposite end like don't be so biased that you don't see everything else that's going on because in a, in an industry where there needs to be abundance you know in an abundance mindset that's a one way to really limit you really quick yeah that's wild that's mm -hmm. good advice too i think that's good for all yeah. of us yeah for sure all right well we appreciate all your time here man this is uh this has been incredible and and this is something that we've wanted to do for a really long time so i i can't thank you enough for for hanging out smoking your cigar on the porch down yeah. there in the nice weather yeah. no, i appreciate it all right, guys. Well, we'll definitely have everything for Elite linked below. So if you guys want to mm -hmm. check that out, go check it out. There's a lot of great content there and uh, a lot of great equipment, too. Um, if you haven't uh, already hired one of us for coaching, go to teamskip.com. You can go to bodyberry.com. Hit me up Hit me up at mcnallydiets at gmail.com. And as I mentioned, our sponsors at the beginning of the show, truenutrition.com, use our code THINK, supplementsource.ca. They have great deals that roll week to week for our Canadians. Strom Sports Nutrition for those of you in the UK. And of course, I can't forget everybody over at Patreon. Thank you guys very much for everything that you do. For another episode here of Blood, Sweat, and Gear, special guest Dave Tate. We appreciate you watching, guys. And you nailed